The word of God from Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending into the silence of death. But we will bless the Lord both now and forever. Hallelujah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Take a copy of the scriptures now and turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 6. As we continue in our series on the Lord's Prayer, where we desire to practice partnership with God and understand exactly what that means. Give you a moment to find your place in Matthew 6. And would you bow with me briefly, asking God for grace. Father, in these moments together, briefly, would you give us faith to believe what you tell us? Would you grant us grace to engage with it thoughtfully? Grant us courage and conviction to act upon it and wisdom to embrace it as the true way of life so that Jesus Christ would be seen to be the Savior, Lord, and treasure that he truly is. In his name we pray, amen. I have to be honest, this week my sermon preparation felt a bit like picking strawberries. How many of you have gone strawberry picking before in a pick-your-own sort of field? Yeah, uh, a great summer activity. If you know what that's like, you walk into a field where there are rows and rows and rows and rows of luscious, bright red strawberries. And you've got a basket or maybe two, and you begin to make your way down a row. And every single second, you're faced with a choice. Am I going to pick that plump, juicy red strawberry or that one? Every second. And then you're faced, once you actually pick whichever one you're going to, you're going to face with another question. Am I going to eat the one that I just picked, or am I going to put it in my basket? And for those of us who are a bit anxiety-ridden, the problem becomes even greater because as you stand up from that row after an hour with a full basket, 
you realize there's another row and another row and another field. And maybe the better strawberries are in that field or that row. Did I actually get the strawberries that were the best? Or did I end up with the second best strawberries and miss the good stuff? You may be wondering how my sermon prep was like that this week. Well, how on earth do you choose which juicy red strawberry to pick and which juicy red strawberry to leave on the vine? Our focus today is on just a short phrase of the Lord's Prayer. But it's a phrase that has fortunes of wealth that could be mined from it for each of us. And that phrase is simply the first one, Matthew chapter 6, verse, well, I thought it was verse 9, I apologize, it's not verse 9. Well, that's embarrassing. Do you see it? It is verse 9. I'm in Luke 6. Matthew 6, verse 9. <laughs> Let's pray for grace again before... No. Matthew 6, verse 9, the very first phrase. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Thomas Manton was one of the most popular preachers in mid-16th century London. And he preached an entire series of sermons through the Lord's Prayer. And those sermons were compiled in the first volume of his collected works, which total 27 volumes, I believe. And he spends 37 pages of exposition and application on these four English words, Our Father in Heaven. He asks and answers questions like this. May we not direct our prayers to the Son and Spirit also? In what sense is God a Father? What is the difference between God being the Father of Christ and God being the Father of the elect? What is it that makes God our Father? How do we know that God is the best Father? Wherein lies the dignity of those who have God for their Father? How do we know that all we experience comes from the love of our Father? Will God be a Father to me who has profaned His name and been a great sinner? And wherein lies the happiness of having God as our Father? And to answer that question, he lists 20 different items, taking 10 pages to walk through. So my purpose today is not to parrot everything Thomas Manton or any other preacher or scholar has said about this incredible phrase, our Father in heaven. But I want us to ask of this phrase two questions that will help us shape our prayer life into practicing meaningful partnership with God. The two questions are these. One, to whom do we pray? And two, how do we pray? To whom do we pray and how do we pray? Number one, to whom do we pray? And the question's a pretty basic one. And it seems as if many two-year-olds could answer this question correctly simply by saying, God, we pray 
to God? And of course, that answer is correct, but a thinking and growing adult should not be satisfied with that answer. If you ask a Muslim man in Istanbul to whom he is praying five times a day on a small rug as he bows towards Mecca, he will answer, Allah, God. If you ask an Orthodox Jew in New York City facing Jerusalem, praying in the morning and evening, to whom are you praying, he might answer, El, or Elohim, God. And listen to the exclamations from the mouths of our neighbors and our friends when witnessing a tragedy. Inevitably, someone will blurt out a vain, empty address to deity. Oh my God. To the skeptic, prayer is, well, prayer. Whether from a Muslim man or an Orthodox Jewish woman or a Catholic nun, or whether it's coming as an incantation from an indigenous warrior on the Malay Peninsula. Prayer is prayer, no matter to whom it's addressed. It's an address to whatever deity or, or whatever higher power one considers to be in at least partial or total control. But is that Christian prayer? And what makes Christian prayer different? Christian prayer is different because of whom it is addressed to. God, yes, but God as Father, our Father in heaven. In the Old Testament, God was known to his people as El or Elohim, God. Later, he would become known to his people by reason of his associations with their ancestors. He was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Still later, he revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh or Jehovah. I am. I am that I am. He has many different titles in Scripture. He's known as the Mighty One of Jacob, El Gabor, the Mighty God, the Lord of Armies, the God who provides the God who hears, God, your healer, the Lord, your banner, the Lord is peace, the Lord, my righteousness, the Lord, the shepherd, the Lord who sanctifies, God most high, almighty God, the living God, the everlasting God, God the rock, God the Lord. And he is all of these titles still, and he has all of these realities, God has not changed. But what has changed is now that all of these titles, like streams flowing together, has been collected into a title that causes the very gates of hell to shudder. Our Father in heaven. If you're exploring Christianity but struggling with what is worthwhile about it. If it actually makes a difference in everyday life or if it's simply pie in the sky by and by, 
then consider this. Christianity is the only religion on the face of the planet that puts a follower by faith into a covenant family relationship with the supreme being. God is known as Father in no other religion. Christians rightfully at times will describe themselves as servants of God. In fact, Paul describes himself as a bond slave of God throughout his writings. But how does God describe himself in relation to his followers? Father. Now, I recognize that it's quite possible there are some in this room who cringe a bit when God is compared to a father. In your story, your own relationship with your father may very well be characterized with your earthly father by fear or pain or anger or loss, characterized more by those things than perhaps by love and acceptance and joy and protection. And we can call that what it is. If that is true for you, that is a tragedy of the highest degree. But friends, don't allow your broken or non-existent relationship with your earthly father to become the standard by which you judge God's father heart towards you. Rather, recognize that the very fact you understand there's a difference between a good and a bad father points to the reality that there is a standard for fatherhood that exists outside of your experience. And that standard is found in the Father who is in heaven, who is perfect. Jesus himself, the eternally begotten Son of God, as we confessed him to be this morning, Jesus himself, who has known God the longest, declares God to be a perfect father. After all, he says, your father in heaven later in Matthew 6, who is perfect. I said I wasn't going to rehash Thomas Manton, and I have no intention to, but I hope you'll indulge me with an extended quote. The words are on the screen. If our Father is our Father in heaven, then you see what strong consolation there is for all the heirs of the promise. Such as have God for their Father are the happiest persons on earth. They are in such a condition that nothing can hurt them. They have their Father's blessing. All things conspire for their good. They have a kingdom settled on them, and the property settlement can never be cut off. How comforted should they be in all conditions? Let the times be what they will. Their Father who is in heaven rules over all. If trouble arises, they carry them sooner to the Father. 
The more violently the wind beats against the sails of a ship, the sooner it is brought to the haven. The more fiercely God's children are assaulted, the sooner they come to their father's house. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. God is not merely a father. He is our father. And he is not merely our father. He is our father in heaven. What's the significance of telling us the location, if you will, of our father? Well, first, it tells us that our Father is not bound by earthly limitations like geography or time. So if you grew up in one part of our country or another country with siblings, maybe overseas, and each of you are now scattered across the globe, your earthly Father is limited by geography. He cannot be with each of you at once. And let's just be honest, a group FaceTime call is a poor substitute for personal presence. Your your earthly father's care and affection, though constant for you and your siblings perhaps, may not be experienced by each of you simultaneously if you're scattered across the globe. Not so with our Father in heaven. He hears the cries of his persecuted children in Sudan and China while delighting in the worship of his children in Europe, while smelling the sweet incense of the prayers of his children in Argentina and Uruguay and Red Bank. Second, this title, Our Father in Heaven, tells us that Our Father is sovereign and omniscient. He knows all things. He is all-wise, and He's all-powerful. Adam read for us Psalm 115, where we, we heard the phrase, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Unfortunately, God's knowledge and sovereignty are often used against Him, even by His children. God's knowledge and sovereignty become like pen knives in the hands of his children, whereby we try to cut at God. They become excuses. Well, if he knows everything already, if he is all-powerful, then why should I pray? If he's sovereign, what matters it that I pray? If he does whatever he pleases and has orchestrated all things, then it doesn't matter if I pray. Well, as Jesus teaches us to pray, he tells us that we pray to God because he is Father, and we pray in confidence to our Father because he is sovereign in all things and wise to all things, and so able to make all the sub- take all the substance of our prayers and work out his glorious ends with the best means possible for us. Consider this. Imagine that you are down at Ross's Landing with your earthly father. You walk out onto a pier, and somehow, no fingers pointed, 
you get bumped off and you end up in the water. The water's high, there's been lots of rain, the current is swift, and you are quickly carried away from the pier. You find yourself in a helpless situation, you're not a good swimmer. In that moment, are you going to evaluate the ability or wisdom of your father before you cry out for help? Okay, I'm 45 feet away from my earthly dad who's aging. He can't do a whole lot to help me, so as he couldn't swim against this current, so I guess I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and go with the flow. Kesara, sera. Whatever will be, will be. How ridiculous would that be, right? No, you're going to yell for help. And you're probably going to yell at the direction of your earthly father. Even though he's limited in strength to deliver you and limited in wisdom to know how to about go, go about doing that in the safest way possible. So children of the Father in heaven, why do we falter in prayer when we consider the unlimited sovereignty and wisdom of God? As if these are reasons to not express our needs to Him, our desires to Him, our longings and our wants and our laments to Him in prayer. If there is anyone who can do anything about it, it's him. And he is none other than our Father in heaven. So to whom do we pray? Our Father in heaven. Second, how do we pray? Now there are two answers here. Two answers that approach the question in a slightly different way. The first answer to how do we pray is from Jesus' own mouth. He says, pray then like this, and he goes into the Lord's Prayer. How do we pray? Well, we use Jesus' teaching on prayer. And as we will see in the coming weeks, this prayer is, as one author said, a compendium on the gospel. I think it was Tertullian who described it that way. So friends, if we pray in such a way that our requests agree with our Lord's instruction, then we will be praying in a way that honors our Lord and Savior Jesus. We will be praying for those things for which he gave himself to secure on our behalf. We'll be praying according to the promises of God. We will pray in this way, sometimes using these words exactly, as we will close our time together later but always modeling our prayers after what Jesus has secured for us. So that's one answer to the way, how do we pray? But there's a second answer to the question. Because this first answer is admittedly surface level. If we're asking the heart of this question, then we might reword it this way, okay? How do we pray in such a way that we know we are truly praying and not simply spitting words at heaven. Not merely flinging words out into space. 
How do we entreat God in such a way that we know that we are praying, not just talking? And the answer to that is found in the little word, our. Our Father. The word our takes a fact that God is Father and appropriates it, personalizes it. He's not just a father. He's not just a good father. He's not just a gracious, kind, and merciful, and loving father. He is our kind, gracious, merciful, loving father. So how do we pray? We answer The answer to that question is this. We pray by faith. Faith claims with the assurance of Scripture that God is our God. He is our mighty God. He is our Lord of armies. He is our God who provides for us. He is our healer. He is our peace. He is the one who hears us. The Lord is our shepherd, our righteousness, our sanctifier. Our God most high, our almighty God, our living God, our everlasting God, our rock, our Father in heaven. Listen to Thomas Manton once again. Faith baptizes prayer gives it a name. It is called the prayer of faith. Without faith, it is speaking, not praying. Faith is the breath of prayer. Prayer is dead unless faith breathe in it. Faith is a necessary requirement in prayer. The oil that was used in temple worship was made up of several spices, pure myrrh, cassia, cinnamon, Now, faith is the chief spice or ingredient in prayer, which makes it go up to the Lord as a sweet incense. Let him pray in faith, James 1.6. Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, Matthew 21.22. Or how about this analogy? Prayer is the gun we shoot with. Fervency is the fire that discharges it. And faith is the bullet that pierces the throne of grace. Or how about this comparison? Prayer is the key of heaven. Faith is the hand that turns it. Or one final analogy. Faith must take prayer by the hand or there is no coming nigh to God. If a poor handy craftsman who lives by his labor has broken his tools so that he cannot work, how's he going to live? Now, prayer is the tool we work with which procures all good for us, but unbelief spoils and blunts our prayers that we get no blessing from God. A faithless prayer is fruitless. So friends, can we be honest before God and before one another this morning? 
if our prayer lives are lacking, it is because our faith is lacking. It's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of energy. It's not even a matter of priorities. It's a matter of faith. And as Hebrews tells us, faith is proof of what is not seen. Though you have not seen your Father in heaven, child of God, do you believe that you have a Father in heaven? A Father who is both sovereign and wise, kindly and generously dispositioned towards you. Do you believe that you have a Father that cares when parenting seems overwhelming? Or when your energy is lacking? Or when your body is failing? Or when your relationships are exploding? Or when your finances are tight? Or your heart feels dull? Or your mind is full of doubts concerning truth that once seemed rock solid? Do you believe you have a Father that cares about those things? Or do you not? If we do have such a Father in heaven, then what prevents us from approaching Him regularly in prayer except a lack of faith that prayer is communion, partnership with the almighty, sovereign, familial, saving God of the universe. God is calling us as his people graciously to a place of blessing this morning. And that place of blessing looks like repentance. It looks like admitting to him our lack of faith in him, turning from it, and embracing the forgiveness he offers through Christ who is entirely faithful on our behalf. And then we rise to cry out to our Father, even as we sang, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And that is a prayer that God will always answer. It's his promise. For a moment, let me speak to the skeptic in the room. I'm not sure who you are. I don't have anyone in mind, I promise. But if you're a skeptic, what is keeping you from embracing Christianity by embracing Christ? Perhaps it's the hypocrites that you've known who've called themselves Christians. But friend, these men and women are not the substance of Christianity. Our Father in heaven, our Father who by means of the death of Christ frees us from sin, death, sorrow, suffering, and shame, He is the substance of Christianity. Not those of us who fail to live up to the substance. And don't you want to know such a father, perfect in his fatherhood, as a father for you? You can. 
simply by coming to faith through repentance in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And now for a moment, can I speak to the one who has entrusted himself or herself to Christ, but feels weak in faith? Maybe you're not sure if God truly feels in his own being as if he wants to be your father. To the one who wonders if God regrets making promises of salvation that inadvertently ended up including you. A screw up. A mess up. A failure. Friend, would you hear me very, very carefully? Faith clings to reality when feelings shrink away. Your faith need not be strong. Your faith nearly, merely needs to be attached to a strong anchor. God, as your Father in heaven, could be no stronger an anchor. The reality is this. As human beings, yes, we screw things up a lot. We mess up a lot. And while we certainly aren't the sum total of our failures, I wonder how many of us have felt that way this week. We don't even match our own twisted ideals of perfection, much less rise to the standards of God's righteousness. But here's the good news of the gospel. God showers grace, love, mercy, generosity, kindness on screw-ups, on mess-ups, on failures. Why? Certainly not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ, the one and only unique Son of God, came to earth and perfectly fulfilled the standards of God's righteousness in every way that you and I fail. Perfectly. And then he willingly took upon himself the death that your and my failures deserve. Why? What would possess him to do that? So that he might shower the grace and mercy and love of God upon us. So that he might bring us into the family of God, making us co-heirs with himself as the eternal son of God. So that we might have a father in heaven. So that our relationship with God is no longer defined solely by God being a righteous judge, but as a kindly, loving, sovereign, powerful, wise, gracious Father in heaven, ready and prepared to bring his children all the way home. We've asked to whom we pray and how do we pray. 
And we've discovered that we partner with our Heavenly Father by faith-filled, faithful prayer. So we're going to take a couple moments for reflection. If you like, you're more than allowed, more than welcome to bow your head and close your eyes, but you're not required to do that. Let's take a moment of reflection and allow this to be a time between you and God. Shut out distractions however you need to. What lies are keeping you from praying to your Father in this way? What steps do you need to take this week to take God up on the invitation to partner with Him as He works in our world? What heart-level change in your life would you like to see God, your Father, accomplish in the coming months and years of life? In answer to those three questions, you may have one, you may have 15 answers. And what I'd like us to do now is to hold those answers mentally as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. The words will be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, let all sinners who are grieved, humble, honest,